you're listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone, and today I'm talking to Elian Bowie. Uh, hello, Elian. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to me today. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I I wanted to start just by kind of helping listeners to know a bit more about you, and I, I wondered sort of when in your own story from you know, Singapore to the University of St. Andrews to New York and then back to Singapore. When, when in that kind of sort of story did you first think about writing? Oh, well, I, I suppose as with a lot of writers' answers, that happened way before, like in primary school. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't do very well in primary school at all. Um, back then, there was either no testing for, for um, attention uh, capabilities, you know, just to put it that way, mm-hmm. or, or there were social stigmas against doing that. And, and um, well, I wasn't tested, but I had strong inabilities to pay attention to any class um, except for English, um, specifically just to write essays, which I would write um, in excess of the whatever 500 words allowed or whatever it was. And um, so that was when I knew I loved writing. And we had fax machines in that time, although I hope I'm not giving away too much about my age, but my father was in shipping, so we had fax machines for a long time okay. <laughs> to communicate with ships. And uh, at least two other of my classmates had them, and we used to f- complete stories together by faxing them around. And uh, that was how we spent quite a lot of afternoons. So I always knew that I wanted to write, but um, as the first of my side of the family to you know, have the chance to go to university and such, it was not a very reasonable option. So I just never gave it any thought and I, I shoved it aside and went along with um, uh, going to uni. I, I began studying um, business actually. And um, philosophy came after that. It was sort of a, a treat to self, having, having done the grind and and um, got the job and the internship and such. Um, it was just before the pandemic, actually, when um, a new company I joined started to fall apart. And uh, to sort of uh, comfort myself, I started writing a short story. And this was also shortly after my daughter was born so there were a few other emotions in that mix and um, as as luck would have it the company I was working for fell apart just as the pandemic began and so now there was no excuse not to write because there was um, literally nothing else to do <laughs> and so I started <laughs> yeah and, and um, I suppose that that's that that's history but I did not start writing science fiction actually in fact I didn't even grow up reading much science fiction um, yeah, not not in a not in a focused uh, fan like way. I I tried to write uh, what is sometimes called literary fiction. I, I wrote two books, which I have since decided that nobody deserves the torture of having to read. And um, I wrote a few short stories. Uh, I was very lucky that the Mekong Review, who was which was led by Min Bui Jones at the time, uh, acquired my first story, which which really really was what showed me that writing was something that I could try. And then shortly after that, it was my first story with uh, Clark's work, um, The Forgotten. And um, yeah, I suppose that's how I got started in in science fiction. And science fiction um, just really opened 
my mind to it because all of a sudden I realized that a lot of the thoughts that I've been having, and they're not many, they're not very intense, but you know, they were just, I suppose, unspoken um, from, from university, from, from having studied philosophy and then having, having failed to go further with it, uh, just came out. And uh, yeah, Signal Tracer was that trigger. And uh, so I'm very thankful for having had that opportunity. That's a fascinating, lots of things I want to pick up on there. I mean, okay. the, 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 the reading that you mentioned kind of as you weren't reading a lot of, you know, SF when you were, when you were younger, what, what were you reading? What, what were you kind of interested in? Oh, it was pretty random. I started off reading abridged classics because that was simply what my, my parents made available uh, at the time, you know, pre-internet and such. So I read those. Um, I had huge sets of great illustrated classics and, and penguin abridged classics as such. And, and then I, I, we were fortunate enough to live across from a um, private lending library. And so, and then I read a lot of uh, what, what sold well at the time, like legal thrillers, uh, uh, spy thrillers and such. And um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's what I grew up reading. So I probably the only SF books that I read at the time were maybe H.G. Wells. <laughs> so it's quite a gap that I'm filling in now. Of course, I'm starting with the more uh, contemporary uh, novels because everyone's writing so many awesome books right now and you know there's almost no time to go back into the backlist but that's that's really interesting about the you know about kind of reading what was available I've, I've heard that from a you know from different writers and, and I can completely kind of appreciate the sort of like picking up you know the legal thrillers or the you know the spy books or the techno thrillers or whatever is lying around because you know uh, you know for, for me it was on holidays or or neighbors or just you know grabbing things off random shelves and yeah that's that's a really i think that's a really interesting way to to read because it does sort of it does wire you in a different way it kind of wires your brain i guess in a different way to to what kind of makes a story tick yeah and um i think well i'm not sure if i can be held to it because it's just my experience but i i think it probably also has a bit to do with um being in this side of the world in in southeast asia and um well the books that one gets at least you know back then i won't say when but back then um were were, were just what um the big supply stock would sell um so yes you get a lot of legal thrillers you get the techno thrillers and uh, and also it's possible that you know in southeast asia there there was also more of a um a desire to to work on your English or such. And, and so that's why there were a lot of classics when I was growing up and it was uh, encouraged to read classics, abridged classics for children, etc. So yes, that, that was what was available. And that was what shaped my interest in writing. I, I also, you mentioned faxing stories back and forth and that, and that, that seems sort of beautifully fragmented. <laughs> yes. I used to sort of classroom teach and, and, you know, part writing or sort of you know story writing that way you know in a classroom is great fun but i imagine with the extra layer of of waiting to see what the next person's going to fax back to you is is really exciting so so yeah i mean that's that's a great way to put a story together yes we we did it in class of course um you know at the risk of getting caught but um 
it's a fax machine was was so interesting also because the um the ink fades after well, I can't remember now after two months or so maybe a bit longer than that so it's fun so you're 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 writing literary literary you know it it um a lot funny you could you could doodle all over it as well you could, you could illustrate the stories and you you said your your father was involved in shipping so there was the sort of presence of there, there was that kind of presence around you as well and obviously you know in in the in this book in other minds that's that that's a big part of you know of carrier and i guess of of your work you know from from what i can gather from your work now mm-hmm. it, it, you know how did how did those other aspects of your childhood sort of feed into some of the stories you're creating now well i suppose many good stories have a bit of of a, a, a trauma in them <laughs> And not to say that I am my characters and I live their life, but uh, uh, in Signal Tracer as well as in Carrier, there are there are subplots of um, mother and daughters misunderstanding each other, which is is something that um, one of course uh, elaborates and colors in a lot more for for drama. But um, I think that. Um, yeah, that's 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 one thing that has added to the uh, the inspiration. Um, in Signal Tracer, the mother is is trying to write and trying to be present at the same time, and that's not that's not like, that's not at all something that I lived as a child. But it's it's in fact closer to what I went through as as a as a young mother at that time when I when I start first started to write and I was trying to. Um, rearrange my own priorities and, and, and be present. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. Um, carrier, yes, carrier is very, um, very much influenced by um, merit, uh, by naval architecture, actually. So because um, I don't know anything, I don't know the last thing, the first and the last thing about about spaceships. And, and if you notice, I I simply just use nautical terms and, and insist they stick. <laughs> So, um, I I followed my father into shipping, uh, in, in so philosophy was not used at all. <laughs> I followed him to shipping, and um, so Carrie in a way is inspired by some uh, real life uh, incidents, uh, not in the exact, of course, as well as some real life ambitions to um, to try and overcome nature, to build the biggest, the best, um, and um, yeah, overcome our limitations, and that's that's essentially what both Carrier and Signal Tracer are about. Uh, it's about uh, the arrogance of construction. I'm sorry, I was supposed to talk about my childhood. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's a really interesting link, though, from your childhood oh. to the arrogance of construction. That's no, no I, 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 I'll let listeners <laughs> fill in whatever gaps they want to fill in. Okay. Um, that there, there seems to me to be a lot of Singapore in your work that sort of there's um, there's sort of you, you know generally I think in the work of yours I've read mm-hmm. you have a great kind of attention to sort of place or the details of place there's there's a, this moment in Signal Tracer with the the burger stand and that the, the, they sell cigarettes by the stick mm-hmm. which is a lovely little sort of observation and and I wonder kind of yeah w- what is it like living in Singapore and writing in Singapore what's it like living here well, um, it's, a, it's a nice little town. <laughs> I like it. Uh, writing Singapore was something that 
I have been trying through my very short um, writing so-called career, of course, I, I suppose, to um, to navigate. Uh, initially, when I tried to write literary fiction, it was very heavily set in Singapore, uh, very heavily locally coloured. Um, science fiction, what I like about science fiction, uh, or at least the way that I try to write it, it gives me the chance to, to both be local and specific, as well as... Um, literally completely out of this world. Uh, so, so there are actually um, parts of Signal Tracer which is someone who doesn't live in Singapore might think is Singapore and, and they, they might not be. Um, so actually the, the, the street names are not Singaporean at all. They're a mixture of stuff that you know, I, I made up and some Hong Kong street names. Um, but they... But what I, I liked, you know, doing it, and it, I don't think it was particularly clever. I just, I just thought it was something interesting to do. Was, was to create a place that seemed familiar in some way to to people who have lived here, and 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 also um, seemed recognizable to people who have not. But actually, um, SE three does not really exist, and and SE three also exists in a post national society, uh, post national uh, uh, international. Framework, I suppose, where um, where nations have decided to um, that that nationalism has become so dangerous that uh, they, they they set it aside for commercial and and uh, and long term survival. So, but yes, I, I am nevertheless Singaporean, and I do enjoy coloring in um, parts of the story with with those details. And uh, Signal Tracer is the one that that has most of that. Uh, that flavor, especially because um, Lion City and its sensory detail and such dips into the value, uh, the comforting value of nostalgia. So a lot of it is very specific in that sense. Mm-hmm. We'll come, yeah, we'll come back to the kind of nostalgia, I guess, tangentially later. But the um, Paul McCauley uh, notes in his uh, review in in Instant Digital that that Carrier has a, a tantalizing open ending. And you've said in interviews that you see it as a hopeful story mm. and a story of redemption. Uh, I kind of wonder, without straying into spoiler territory, spoilers, okay. could you could you talk a little bit about the character Li Mingwen um, and how she came to be, and you know, and who she is in that story? Mm. Well, Mingwen is is um, a builder who believes that. Anything can be built almost um, to overcome the challenges of, of, of the firm, of society, or the needs of, of, of commerce, etc. And um, she's, she's very committed to what she does. And she was, she was very torn up by, um, by an accident which she was responsible for or held responsible for that uh, almost ended her career. So that's where... Carrier begins and and Carrier it the the construction of the ship in Carrier is is her comeback and her her chance at redemption reclaiming her um her, her professional standing but as well as by bringing her daughter on board uh to to observe the flight uh, no spoilers uh, she. It's her chance to rebuild her relationship with her daughter. So Ming Wen starts off in this story trying to assert herself through all aspects of um, 
well, through everything she's constructed as well as through flashbacks, you see that she tries to assert herself in in the um, uh, nurturing of her daughter. But um, what readers might then find, uh, uh, might then experience is the, the ship exerts itself back on her through replaying of her memories and, and, and the way things are remembered correctly or incorrectly in a possibly haunting way. Um, so that's Mingguan. She's, she's, I, I, I don't know if I do this a lot because I've not written that much, but I, I do enjoy writing characters who are um, neither antagonists nor, nor heroic. Um, and, um, and I think I, I personally find that interesting. Um, and so Mingguan is, yeah, Mingguan is neither. She, she's neither a, a baddie nor, nor a hero, although one could say that she, she is heroic towards the end because she does uh she, there is hubris and she she does recognize what she what has to be done and i should probably stop talking before i give it entirely away <laughs> okay going back to the nostalgia and the, and the past there there are there are kind of images in carrier there, there are these photo books of scenes taken on earth a century ago and there's in in other stories you've written, there you know in in the last gold single, there's you know there are memories, there's guilt, there's um there's hunger and and the past in in your fantastic sort of weird horror story hunger, and and in in the dedication to other minds, you you write really powerfully. I hope to live up to your memories, and there's this sort of fascinating sort of for me at least this theme running through your stories of you know the way the kind of the pressure the past exerts on the present. And and I wonder, yeah, I wonder how much you sort of connect with that idea as a reader or as a writer. Um, yes, I, I suppose I've, I've always found memory to be very, uh, very intriguing. Although of course I'm very aware that um, it's, it's not particularly unique to, to what I write. Uh, it's it's quite, it's something that's addressed a lot in in science fiction, um, and and outside of it. Um, I like how um, one recurring theme through through a lot of stories, not just what I write, but you know recent novels and such, is how you are nothing but your memories, and you know if you change that, um, what are you change? You 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 might possibly change your present self um so that is a part of what uh triggers the uh that sub that, that theme in in both stories um in in signal tracer uh memory and nostalgia are, are meant to be a little more sinister because um nostalgia is is the new uh is the new drug for, for the masses mm-hmm. who are unable to cope with, with the way that society has changed and, and the way that it has no place for them, uh, well, it appears to have no place for them. Um, and and I, I think I, I've said in, in some before that um, yeah, this, this nostalgia and yearning is, is a sign that um, is, is a sign of uh, rising conservatism, of, um, of people wishing that things were, were better again according to what they thought it was that things were simpler and and it might not have been it might have had its own challenges and it might have been very difficult um and and very grotty and not rose tinted at all but um quite often people choose to remember it that way because you 
they, they feel disempowered to change their present, which is ironic because that is the only thing, the future is the only thing that you can, you can change at this point. Um, but they feel they are powerless to do that. So all they can do is edit their memories. Um, not, we do that now, even, even without, you know, even without interfaces and, you know, and technology to do that yet. Although who knows what, what Meta might do soon. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yes, so with nostalgia, they, they, they feel that by, by revisiting their memories and editing their memories and, and saying, I'm pretty sure it was like this. I don't think it was this way. Um, things were better then. Um, it, it is a retreat. It is a comfort. And it is, in a way, uh, a way to avoid the reality of what they can and cannot do. And so part of the arc and signal tracer is to overcome that and, and realize that what well, the changes as corny as it sounds, but change happens now for the future and not backwards. Right, right. You're writing science fiction now, and, and as, as you said earlier, you're you kind of you started out writing, writing kind of literary fiction, or and, and sort of and, and not so much inside that particular genre. Are, are there other other spaces, other, other genres you feel drawn to as a writer? I I, I know from your kind of Twitter or sorry x formerly known as twitter that you that you you know you read le carré um you, you mentioned uh, michael crichton in in the yes. in the paul samuel interview and i wonder yeah are there outside of the outside of this genre are there other kind of places you other kind of areas you'd like to write in yes i would definitely i would love to write a good old um spy thriller that would bring together a lot of things that um, I just have been, you know, probably overboiling in my mind. Uh, so that's that's next on my mind for next year. We'll hopefully, can bring it to uh, to reality. Um, yeah, Michael Crichton is 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 a force. I love Sphere. I love Sphere so much. And um, uh, well, I love Dennis Lehane, and uh, you know, was a lot of his gangland and crime fiction that that is also good fun and th there is a fair bit of contemporary uh crime fiction that i i love reading as well um uh another influence is um, patricia highsmith i i love her mysteries i love how they're so subtle and and bloodless <laughs> and but although sometimes you know writing in this day i i feel a bit of um I don't know if it's guilt or insecurity, but you know I'm quite aware that um, a lot of the stuff that I write is bloodless, and I wonder how that fits in with um, uh, the more contemporary need for drama um, and action. But uh, but yes, uh, though to answer the question properly, those are my uh, non SF interests. Although I I personally don't really see them as being in SF or not. Um, they're just stories that can be terrestrial or otherwise or in the future or in the past <laughs> in your interview with paul semmel you mentioned the the film adaptation of sphere which terrified you and then you also mentioned going back to the Crichton novel and you mentioned going back to it for craft and and that's really interesting i i kind of wonder what is it about that book or Crichton maybe generally that kind of yeah appeals to that part of your brain okay well i'm gonna i'm looking at it now and mine is mine's all yellow and and flagged and and dogged ear because you know i'm a monster and i dog ear my books <laughs> but uh, Crichton's Crichton just writes so tight and it almost reads like um a, uh, a script 
You know, there's there's nothing that is access. The the exposition is sort of slipped into the dialogue. It, it doesn't feel heavy handed. Um, at least not for Sphere. I've I I think I recently read Rising Sun, and that was that was a bit of hit and miss. Um, but um, although it was great in the first half, but Sphere is just you know it's. The tension is perfect, and and another thing I like, I love about Sphere, which I, I brought directly to my own writing, was how everything was in very short chapters. I think each chapter is about four or five pages, and each chapter is also titled, and that gives you know that that sort of reinforces with regards to um current uh, teaching on, on how to or how to write an engaging thriller it reinforces purpose like every every scene has a purpose every scene has some fear or some desire that is either met or or i don't know run away from or left for the next scene but there, there is some guiding purpose and a need for every scene and i feel that Crichton's um, labeling of each scene as a chapter really helps that uh, and there's actually a lot of dialogue in in Sphere, but it never feels never feels too heavy. With the chapter titles or the or the, or the scene titles, did did they? I mean, the, the, those run through other minds through through both novellas. Were they were they always the same, or did you kind of tweak them and change them, and you know, sort of retrospectively decide? That's that's the wrong title there because I, I feel like they are very I mean well, no not, not I feel I they are very important. Mm. Um, I do tweak them, but they are pretty much what I started off with because oh I remember you asked a question which I forgot to answer, which was how did I work carrier into from short form into long form? Yes, and um, so the chapter titles. Are quite a key for me because Carrier started off as a short story, and Signal Tracer was a short story that was a uh, uh, the forgotten in Clark's world, and so both of them grew just um, uh, on the fly or, or pantsed as people say. So both of them just grew on the page without much planning, and it was the chapter titles that um, that are sort of like the wireframe for that. So I didn't change the chapter titles much because they are supposed to reflect what happens in the plot. I think I, I suppose I changed it to just make them more punchy, and, and there were points when I repeated the title. Um, but um, but no, no, they're they're very useful for me in that way. And and if anybody needs a free a free tip that they didn't ask for, I find that the chapter titles are also very useful when you're trying to write a novel. But so even when you're writing like ninety thousand words or something, I. I I still keep to short chapters or try chapter titles because that helps me write the synopsis later. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it keeps track of what happens. Yes. So if anyone needs a free tip, that's that's it. <laughs> that they didn't ask for. You mentioned John Le Carre and Patricia Highsmith, and I, I wonder uh, what other writers, not necessarily genre writers, just just generally, what other writers are are kind of. Writers you go back to a lot. Yeah, Dennis Lehane. Dennis Lehane for one. And uh, uh, okay, now I'm trying to think. Oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes. Trick question. <laughs> yeah, trick question. <laughs> oh, John Grisham. You know, it's John Grisham is not very 
deeply, like I, I would say, he's not very deeply etched in my memory because it's been so long since I've read him. I mean, I was in primary school sitting on the floor of this um, private private rental library, which I, I wonder if it was just a, a thing out here in Southeast Asia, in South Asia as well, but um, there used to be a lot of these private libraries where you would pay half the price of the book. Oh. And um, yeah, and you borrow the book and you have the option of not returning it and well, then your money's for gone. Um, or you return it and you get uh, X, I don't know, $2 back or something or whatever. And, and you put that towards borrowing another book, which is great because um, at that time, our public libraries, although they were really good and you know, the real boon, um, they had they didn't have so many contemporary novels. Um, they had more reference novels because obviously this was pre-internet. Um, they had more reference material because this was pre-internet. Um, and they had children's fiction. So there was not a lot for primary schoolers and, 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 and secondary schoolers to read at their, their level. Um, so these private libraries were, were just so useful. So anyway, the point was, that was where I read John Grisham and Michael Crichton, but mostly John Grisham, we read a lot of that. So probably some of his work has made its way into my mind, although I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, Dennis Lehane is a contemporary writer uh, that I, I greatly admire for his style. Um, his latest was um, Small Mercies, which, which is just great. It's just brilliant. And Shutter Island is one book, which is not so recent. I think it's from the early 2000s. I love that book as well. That is another book which, which sort of sits across genres. It's, it's horror. It is a bit of SF, if you consider it in the you know, psychological techno thriller. And um, it's also a period piece, I suppose. And I love the fragmented writing of it. So, yeah, that's another. And uh, well, I suppose behind me on the shelf, there's, um, there's Ken Liu, there's Somerset Mom. So it's all over the place. <laughs> the point is I read. I try to read as much as I can. Yeah, I try to read nearly everything. <laughs> Now that's really fascinating, yeah. Um, going back to other minds, uh, your your book. Uh, this is, it's available from Dark Matter Magazine dot shop, and from wherever books are sold. And and I wonder, it's a couple of weeks now since it came out. How how does it feel seeing it out in the world? How does it feel sort of knowing that this this book that you put so much work into is now in you know multiple countries. In, in readers' hands? Well, it feels very unreal. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it feels very unreal. Every time that someone posts a picture with my book, which, oh, please do if you have it. Okay, I love seeing them, um, especially being all the way here uh, on the other side of the world. Um, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that people are choosing to spend their time reading something that I wrote. And I'm really, I'm really, um, uh, I'm grateful for that, and thank you so much for for taking that time to read it. Um, they're both very special to me, although I, I I think I'll probably say that about anything that I write. But Carrier, especially, uh, Carrier was almost almost literally written in a, in a fever dream when I, you know, sort of had COVID, but it turned out negative. But I'm pretty sure it was it, um, and that was Carrier that came out of that. Uh, Yes, I, I am very happy that it's out there in the world and that people are reading it and saying what they will of it. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing it in, in bookshops uh, in the US and in the UK. 
I, I hope it's uh, available. If not, yes, it's always available online. And um, I suppose I should make a little plug right now because um, Dark Matter Inc. has a Halloween special and, and the e-books are on discount. But the physical books are always available too. So do pick that up for a bit of, a bit of tangible um, ownership. <laughs> yes. You have another book on the horizon called Club Contango. And this is, uh, you, you wrote in your email to me, a space-set neo-noir thriller. Uh, what can you tell Interzone listeners about that one? Well, Club Contango is, is about a single mom uh, on a space station who runs an illegal micro-casino for best friend. And, um, well, things go awry when her former associate shows up dead, as a matter of speaking. And um, she's confronted by some small print on a, what she thought was a simple AI training job that she did, did in a moment of desperation that uh, what now comes back at her and um, she finds herself implicated in it and, and um, has to reclaim her life and prove her innocence against versions of herself without giving away too much of it. <laughs> um, okay. That was a very long elevator pitch, but... Um, Club Contango is is hopefully a fun mystery and uh, and also a story about uh, female friendship and and uh, and also trying to survive in in in, a, in an economy that that has a driving purpose of making one irrelevant and and disenfranchising one's skills from well. From, from the person. Um, so yes, uh, I, I suppose that is the, 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 the punch at the uh, the punch at the end, you know, just when you thought it was fun. <laughs> it, it, it brings in a bit of, uh, I suppose, what has been stewing in my mind over uh, labor action and uh, as well as, uh, you know, in, uh, worker alienation in, in this economy, mm -hmm. especially now that we're all working from home and we're, we're increasingly separated from our work. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> it's fun. I'm editing it now, so yeah, it's coming into coming into shape. That does sound fun, and and that's coming out 2024. Yes, in November. And uh, so so uh, dark dark matter. There's a there's a Halloween sale uh, on the eBooks, and you can buy other minds in print uh, or, or EPUB from them. And uh, I, I, just sort of wrapping it up, I, I wanted to ask you, like, like, what are you reading at the moment? And is there anything you'd like to recommend or, or can I give a boost to? Um, what am I reading? Oh, so many things. Oh, I'm, oh, I just, okay, what am I reading? I'm reading um, Convergence Problems, which is uh, an arc. I love it. I really love this collection of short stories um, by... Alabi. I really hope I'm not butchering his name, but it's, it's excellent. I love it so much. And I've also recently finished his um, Shigidi, which is it's just great. It's great on so many, so many levels. And it's 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 you can read it just as a mystery, but of course it's it's got deeper things to say about uh, colonization of uh, culture. And and um so that's that's something that I've read recently that I love. Um right now I'm reading The Surviving Sky. I'm reading, I'm supposed to start City of Last Chances, 
And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also reading um, Zakari's Russia House because I'm trying to work through his backlist and there's so much to read. Um, but um, other books that I've read recently, uh, I've read um, Emergent Properties by Amy Ogden and I, that was, that's really great. Um, yeah. And, oh yes, and Summit Basu has um, The Gin Bot out, which out two days ago. That is an excellent book. You should definitely get your hands on it. Um, the City Inside was, was brilliant and this is, this is even more fun. And, and as, in his usual style with a lot of things to say about power structures, urban power structures. So definitely get your hands on that. And I can probably think of even more books if I keep looking around my shelves. <laughs> thank you very much for all of those. Um, uh, th- thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope Other Minds does, does really well. And yeah, I, I hope you can come on again later when you have the, the next one out. That would be fantastic. Thank you. I, I hope you won't have to edit too much of this. But uh, yes, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly, and today I was talking to Eliane Bui. Find out more about Interzone at interzone.press and read stories and reviews for free at interzone.digital. Thanks for listening. See you next time.